Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Everyday Anarchism, the show about how you are always surrounded by anarchism, cooperation, mutual aid, and non-domination. I am your host, Graham Colbertson. I've had in the back of my mind to create a series on anarchist pilgrimages, and I've been talking to some friends who are tour guides in Europe about it, but then I read an article by Dave Zirin in The Nation. He and his friend Mike have already done an anarchist pilgrimage to Barcelona. So while I will still get this series off the ground at some point, consider this a little prologue. I interviewed Dave and Mike about their trip, what they saw, and how you, yes you, can go to Barcelona and see its radical history. By all means, every anarchism, let's do this thing. Uh, okay, so I was thinking about a way to frame this, and I just realized when we when we tour, when we go places, we tend to do the like great man of history, kings and emperors bullshit. If you go to Paris, it's all arcs of triumph. It's all Versailles palaces. It's all here's the shit Napoleon stole from Egypt our travel it's like we're trying to relive some imperial glorious past and now it's okay because france is a democracy or something and we can still just worship at the altars of kings and emperors so i've been thinking about why is it that those of us who supposedly want to resist this idea of history and this narrative and these great men and their bloody monstrous imperial conquests why do we go worship at their shrines to themselves that's even what the pyramids are built by slaves and i've been thinking about setting up for people anarchist or radical tours i mean not an actual tour that we do but just the idea of if they want to go somewhere like paris not do the great man version do the revolutionary do the anarchist version and then uh, my guests today, it turns out, have already done a trip like that. I read an article about Barcelona by Dave Zirin, where they went and did, Dave and his buddy Mike went and did the radical tour of Barcelona. So I asked you two on the show to tell me about it. So I guess tell us who you are and then tell us about this trip. Uh, my name is Dave Zirin. I'm a sports writer at The Nation magazine. And uh, Mike's amazing daughter, Emma, is going to school in Barcelona. He asked me if I wanted to tag along as he was going to visit her. And the opportunity to go to Barcelona, a city I'd only read about in books, uh, and to examine the 1930s history, it was just too tempting an offer to pass up. So, Mike, I guess you, you don't have to tell us about your daughter. Tell us about the trip, though. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was a great opportunity that, that just kind of fell into my, my lap. Yeah, my, my daughter was doing a semester um, in, in Barcelona. And um, so, you know, and kind of like Dave, like I, you know, I'd read homage to Catalonia, like, I don't know, maybe like 20 years ago. But it really kind of like was in some ways life altering, um, especially, you know, when when Orwell goes through the descriptions of the of of what revolutionary Barcelona looked like, it just kind of opened up for me what what you know what uh, you know uh, the idea of, of another kind of world being possible. And you know, since then, like you know, um, certainly you know those kinds of examples of kind of you know reading more radical history, but this kind of hidden history. So, but I've always kind of had you know Barcelona as like you know one of these like kind of like 
sacred places that, you know, I wanted to check out, wanted to kind of, you know, just kind of just Im imbibe that sense of history and sense of possibility by going to that physical sp space. This opportunity came, my daughter provided the, the thin excuse, uh, and uh, <laughs> my, my buddy Dave along with me. And yeah. So, so. Yeah, so for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Homage to Catalonia is this amazing book by George Orwell. I, I will do a whole episode on it in the show in which Orwell went and fought in the Spanish Civil War. And if you're like me, and your knowledge of the Spanish Civil War was high school level, which was there was a Spanish Civil War, and there were Nazis and like some good guys, and the good guys lost. Well, Orwell will tell you that, you know, the good guys included both some true beautiful revolutionary radicals and some Stalinists and the Stalinists won. And so what it ends up is a battle between fascists and Stalinists and people like Orwell got run out of the country. So Dave, I think in your article, you mentioned that they, they don't talk about that much in the uh, official history in Barcelona. I think the narrative in Barcelona is still like, we fought the good fight against the fascists, not so much of we took uh, machine guns from Stalin and used them to shoot anarchists. I don't know. I, I think the narrative in Barcelona and Mike absolutely say if you disagree, sometimes felt a little bit like uh, like a a blank slate, mm. or if not a blank slate, it's like trying to find the history in an antique shop where you're going through all kinds of knickknacks, some of which are pure, unadulterated crap. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you stumble upon an incredibly important morsel of history, uh, and I think it's kind of an object lesson for our side about what happens when you lose mm. and in that respect it's it's a it's an incredible opportunity i mean for people it's like look come to this city and learn about what happens when our side has a chance to sit in the saddle to use uh, orwell's words and we lose and because of that the history just mike can give some great examples of this like the history is just it's there but it's certainly not there in a way that would make you feel like this city was defined by perhaps the most important battle of the 20th century. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I remember kind of actually asking my my daughter over phone calls prior to the trip about just like, well, I, you know, um, have you had any opportunities? Because uh, I lent her the book, Homage to Cataloni, before she went, she read, she read most of it and was <laughs> like inspired. And then tried to talk to some of her professors about it, and they, you know, and she, you know, these weren't history professors, but um, but they, you know, they really didn't have anything to offer her. And then I was like, well, you know, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like our side, broadly speaking, lost, you know, and it's not like going like if you go. I had the opportunity years ago to go years to go to Dublin, um, and you go to Dublin, and you know, you go in front of the the post office, and there's like a big statue of you know Jim Larkin and IWW organizer and you know and, and you know hero in the american labor movement as well as as in in you know the, the easter, easter uprising and you know or james Connolly or these these revolutionary figures they have statues because you know our side broadly speaking broadly speaking one you know and then even you know and of course you can divide up like you know the you know the various you know types of of irish republicans but certainly you know leftists socialists anarchists you know you can find your heroes in that mix because they in a broad sense won you go to you go to barcelona you know our side broadly speaking did not win and actually got lined up and slaughtered um and the history all the history was repressed until franco died in 1975 
And so the reemergence is really kind of interesting, but it's, you know, it's not a full blown. Um, there's lots of examples. I don't want to hog over time here. But. I guess no, no. Um, Go ahead, Dave. Jump in. It, it is so interesting because, you know, I studied in Chile um, as a student and our side, of course, lost in Chile too, was drowned in blood thanks to Pinochet. Uh, maybe because the country was emerging from Pinochet's dictatorship, you start to see monuments to the disappeared. You start to see, uh, you know, certainly not in the way that I, I would want to see, but you start seeing a kind of public recognition and reckoning with the tens of thousands of people who were killed, with the thousands who were tortured. And it's really impossible to navigate Chilean society unless you have a sense of that history. And I mean, even the recent elections that just took place uh, were incredibly political and polarized. And the right wing candidate was really running on a Pinochet restoration plan. Mm. And the person running opposite him was a, a student leader in the mass protest that directly hearkened to the struggles in Chile in the late 60s and early 70s and really the unfinished efforts to create a country that uh, was, was outside the thrall of neoliberal capitalism. Um, uh, so very interesting in that regard that in Barcelona, far from trying to reckon with that history, you almost feel a little bit like, like the history of the city started with the 92 Olympics or something. And like that, I think it's, um, I think it's the buildings of Gaudi and then the 92 Olympics are the next things that happened in Barcelona. Yes. Yeah. The, and Mike can tell you all about like Gaudi, Gaudi, Gaudi everywhere, uh, which is beautiful. Uh, but I also want to see, uh, you know, monuments to revolutionaries in certain places, you know, and, and, and I want it to tell the history of the place. You know, the one, the one example I want to give that's particularly galling to me is there's this amazing Pablo Picasso museum, except they're, they're none of his works from the thirties are in the museum. It literally skips over. And of course his most famous, piece is, is probably is in his life was Guernica. And I asked like, where's Guernica? And this is Barcelona where Picasso lived, where the struggle so inspired him and they keep it in Madrid mm. and lend it out. And there's something <laughs> even weird about it being Madrid, which is of course the, the cradle of, of, of uh, Franco and fascism. Uh, something about that just rang, rang very, very wrong. Like it almost like, uh, white uh western settlers who would who would capture like native american doodads and have them as artifacts in their home and they would say oh we're doing this to honor native american culture and it's like dude you stole that shit well i think it, dave i think the madrid narrative is that all of that stuff is in the past i mean this is maybe also similar to the to the white western narrative is that stuff is in the past and Barcelona is Spain and Madrid is Spain and Picasso is Spain and Guernica is Spain. And there's don't look behind the curtain to see these cracks. Everything is Spain and Spain is Spain. And that is great, which, you know, <laughs> if you if you talk to Catalonians for five minutes, they do not feel that way. And, and Mike, I want to get this right. So, Mike, am I, am I right about this? Because I've been to Dublin, too, but it's been a long time. I, I know that they still have bullet holes from the Easter rising mm. in the walls that they don't fix on purpose. Right. But are, are there also monuments that explain the bullet holes and why they're there? 
you can you can go into the post office if i recall it's been a while but if i recall you go into the post office and there are like signs on the wall in in the post office talking about why that that you know um why that's a significant location you go you go to barcelona for instance and the the, the big telephone exchange which was also like one of the anarchist controlled like centers of power um and and it's just an office building i mean it's this mm. beautiful building uh, <laughs> but you know there's not you know not that i could tell i couldn't see anything that would that acknowledges that you know that its role as as a you know um, a point of whatever a pivot point i suppose in in the spanish civil war and the history of it and yeah, yeah that might be you know whether that's you know like i was saying you know the fact that you know the, the fascists won um, or the painful history that you were um, talking about, Graham, earlier about you know the among the the infighting between in the left between the the, the communists and 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 the anarchists and the CNT, um, and you know and that difficulty because I did one of the one of the folks who did talk to while we were in Spain said that yeah this literally is a country where there are unearthed mass graves. There's been mm. some some excavation, some science, but really you know there are also places where the they, I think what they said was like the police know that oh you find a body that you know an old body there that's that's you know that's not a crime you don't investigate that mm. that that's what we you know that's part of history um that we don't want to want to deal with um quite yet and they and what was the other quote i remember somebody saying well, well um they'll deal with the uh, with the civil war once the last living participant has died mm. with which is that's a pretty strong <laughs> statement. So yeah, we don't have like a truth and reconciliation commission that co comes out, you know, in, in in seventy, you know, seventy five. I guess when Franco dies, you don't have that kind of process um, at all. Yeah, I think at picking all. up on that, Mike and Dave, you mentioned this earlier. It's easy for Americans to forget, especially Americans who are younger, who didn't live through the Franco era, that Spain was a fascist country throughout the, you know. 30 years after World War II. And so when we think like, oh, well, why didn't they reckon with this after the war was over and all the fascists were defeated? Well, the fascists were never, were never defeated in Spain. They just ruled until Franco died. And so in 75, no one's going to be like, now it's time to talk about 1937. Like that's not top of mind for them in 1975. We need to get 1937 straight. And I'm guessing that's a huge part of it. Yeah. From, yeah. from what I understand, um, that period in 1975, of course, you're dealing with a country that largely didn't live through uh, the 1930s as much mm -hmm. as a country that was just exhausted mm -hmm. by the, 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 the isolation and gray conformity uh, that was the Franco era. I know Mike knows this story because we tell it to death. And if I get it wrong, Mike, let me know. But you know, famously, when uh, David Lean was forming, was filming Doctor Zhivago, there was a protest scene. Uh, was it in Barcelona, Mike, or was it in a different city? I don't remember where in Spain he filmed the protest. But people, the bit, the point is that you know it was done with actors and extras, and and but when people saw that there was an actual protest in the streets, they thought Franco had died. <laughs> I think they, they were thinking the international. They started they they were the international and streaming. The international and people poured out the street thinking Franco had died. Yeah, that's the story I heard. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that story. Oh, that's wonderful. This, this desperate the need. Sixties, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this desperate need to get beyond it existed in seventy-five. It just makes me respect all the and also the fact that Franco died and wasn't overthrown. I think that's huge. 
difference. Like apartheid was overthrown. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that people did after apartheid was overthrown was say, you know what? The constitution that we had was an apartheid constitution. Let's take a couple of years and write a new constitution. Like compare and contrast that even with the end of the civil war in this country mm -hmm. and saying like, wow, we, we, we needed, we had a slave, a slaver's constitution. We need a new constitution for a free society. They didn't do that. They tinkered around the edges and we're still suffering for it to this day. Yeah, for sure. Although, I mean, we shouldn't sell the uh, resistance short, as I understand, uh, and I'll, I don't know about the details, but the Franco's hand pick number two um, was blown up <laughs> a few years earlier. They planted a bomb on, you know, on his car route to church and, and, and sent him into orbit, as they say. <laughs> I think it was might have been like the Basque, um, you know, uh, separatists, but it was it was a, a like a, a you know a resistance group blew him up. So that's part of the reason why there was no one to hand power to uh, in '75 in in a, in a way. And also, you have this thing where, um, like, the, the the Western complicence in in, in in propping up Franco. Not only did the U.S. like um, what make up, you know, put the, I guess what the Sixth Fleet, you know, uh, at Harbor in in Barcelona, um, you know, during Franco, um, you know, doing business with them. But like, even before the Republic was was completely destroyed, when Barcelona failed, the next day Madrid is still in the hands of the Republicans. The country is still. You know, still divided. Although you know the, the the Republican army was definitely broken at that point with the loss of Barcelona, but Britain, the day after Barcelona falls, they recognize Franco as as yeah. as the head of state. You know, uh, Britain and I think France too. Um, and then France, even though they were, I guess, somewhat friendly to the Republicans, their their treatment of the of the the fleeing populations out of Catalonia, out of Barcelona, you know, and um, their um, and, and in fact keeping them in refugee camps until eventually the Germans invade and then they hand them over to the Nazis, like uh, except for those that were able to escape, like because of Pablo Neruda and they go to Chile and other places, but or or Mexico if they can. But the fact that the you know the West's is hands are so dirty with it too, um, you know, is 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 something that I guess we you know, when I say the West, I mean you know the Allies, whatever the U.S., uh, um, you know, England, France, um, they're they're completely dirty in this thing too. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so when the if if you want to put it this way, there's there's these three sides in in the spanish civil war right there's the fascists and the fascists come and support them and then there are these revolutionary anarchists who you know orwell goes and supports and then there's the communists and the communists eventually throw in their lot with stalin but it seems like the anarchists and the communists are willing to work together and are willing to take help from anyone who is not the fascists and preferably also not Stalin. And every other government in the world says, yeah, we're, we're not gonna take the anti-fascist side. I don't want to draw equivalences between the Western democracies and the fascists or the Stalinists. I am, I'm not so far gone down the left wing that I do not prefer a nice liberal democracy to Stalinist Russia. But if you have the sense that, you know, uh, well, you know, France and Britain and America are, are the good guys somewhere deep down. Well, they had a chance to show it in, in Spain, possibly could have even headed World War II off. And they uh, completely abandoned and the person who was willing to come was Stalin. And that's how it turns out how it did. And, you know, we, we have the heroic attempt 
which is, I think, sometimes easy to look back on critically of the POOM, uh, which stands for the, the Workers' Party of Marxist Unification, an effort to bring together a Trotskyist group with a opposition group called the Workers and Peasants Bloc. Um, and then the Stalin, there, there was Stalinist repression. Yeah, the anarchists are willing to throw in their lot with them as well. It does seem like a coalition could have formed, and boy, could they have used some British or American machine guns. Yeah, and the story of Stalinism undermining movements outside of Russia for revolutionary purposes, and we could do a whole separate podcast <laughs> yeah, about I that. Agree, I agree. Be very disturbed. I think it's I think it's worth saying though. I mean, and I totally agree with that with that assessment. I think it's worth saying that that the decisions. I mean, these same kinds of politics play out daily because it's one thing to kind of like call the say the Stalinists were like you know these like whatever monsters, but they're they're echoing what a lot of like moderate leftists and mm-hmm. and Democratic Party people who you know whatever I count among my friends and and allies and so many you know specifics um, you know uh, in terms of like various kinds of issues and struggles, but at the same time it's like the kind of you know tendency towards pragmatism, the idea that. Oh yeah, we need to drop the radical stuff uh, and 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 make the movement and make uh, make the resistance you know uh, respectable and so that we won't scare England that we won't scare you know mm-hmm. France and that we can get aid from from and if we only just tamp that down then we can you know and that was that was the charge Stalinist blocking with some of the mo- with the moderate Republicans were saying yeah let's 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 get rid of this you know this the the radical edges of this thing and sell this thing to the West and if we'll just everybody can get in line then we'll get the guns and arms we need to resist fascism and we'll, you know, if we play nice. Um, and that whole kind of notion that like if we just discipline the radicals, get them in line, then somehow that's the best way of, of, of resisting the right is something that plays out time and time again um, in all kinds of politics, whether it's just like, you know, you know <laughs> anti-fascist protests even today, the, the center is really the thing. And then of course the, the reality, of course, is just the opposite. You know, you defang and take away the, the, the fighting, you know, core and then heart of, of the resistance. Then what you get is you just open the door for the right even more. You don't you don't get the center. You get the right. I, th- I think Mike and I both wanted when we went to Barcelona, uh, a kind of celebration of the best of that tradition. Mm. And and I think we found it. But to be frank, we found it because we paid a tour guide. He was an expert at finding it for us, which meant going into, like I mentioned earlier, used bookshops, memorabilia stores. Mike and I on our own found radical bookshops that we went to. Um, and it's just you, you, you need someone to be able to show you where the goods are. Right. And, and, one, and, and one of the bookshops we went to was the CNT bookshop. And there are there you'll find a, a group of people who are trying to preserve and, and elevate that tradition. So I don't want to act, act like it's not, you know, people aren't there tra- fighting for that tradition. Um, there are. But sorry, Dave. Oh, no, no, that's right. And um, and I, I would I would just recommend for people to try to seek out um, some local leftists to be able to to show show what's up. You know, I mean, Mike and I live in the D.C. area, and it's not altogether dissimilar. It's more extreme in D.C. without question. But people come to D.C. and they want to see these monuments to empire. Um, And yet there's this whole other D.C., which has this incredible fighting tradition. But 
is it really marked in a way like, you know, you can take radical tours of Greenwich Village. You can take <laughs> radical tours of, you know, the Soho neighborhood in, in London where Marx lived. And it's like, you don't quite, we need to get that in every city, I think. I don't I think. think I've yet met someone who has been to the Frederick Douglass house besides me oh. in, in Anacostia. It's, it's amazing. Some, it's amazing. Yeah. The Frederick Douglass house. And yeah. it's like, we, we should put together our own radical tour site because I'll tell you something that well, no, a place that did have a radical tour that I went to was in new Orleans. Ooh. It was freaking amazing because new Orleans is a place where if you go on the official tour, shit, you might as well, <laughs> you might as well, you know, get, get a, a lease to a plantation when you're done. <laughs> they talk about the history of racism and violence as if, you know, oh, it was just cultures coming together. And guess what? We made jazz. <laughs> as, as if it's a feel good after school story. And when you get somebody who's got some expertise and of course, yeah, these folks should be paid for their labor, you know, like in, in, in showing you this other side of a city and the places that mean something to the residents. I mean, that that is a powerful traveling experience. And you know, when I was writing the article for The Nation, and certainly when I was with Mike in the streets of Barcelona, it really made me think about like 19th century travel writing and how that's how people learned about other cities is, you know, writers would just be like, yo, I went somewhere. This is what I saw. And I think we can apply that to radical politics in a way that fills a vacuum, in a way just sort of generic writing about a city. People would be like, you know, what the fuck? Why, why, why do I, I'll go to Wikipedia. Why do I? Yeah. Look, I mean, Dave, that's my, I don't have plans for a website because I don't have time for a website, but that's my plan is to do a series of podcasts. Find these, find these guides. I've got some leads and, and unspool a, 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 a tour that someone could do. And then also, you know, you get the guide's name out there and if people want to actually do it, they can, they can email that person and hire them. That's the dream. But I started with you two because you've already done it. So, uh, I guess now I want to say before we go on too much longer, what what did you see in Barcelona? So you mentioned the CNT bookstore. Do you want to tell us more about that or something else you would like to share so we can so people can visualize this this trip? Well, visualize it, even though this is a uh, radio podcast show. Yeah. So the CNT um, is is a is a famous anarchist led uh, trade union, syndicalist trade you know type trade union um, in in Spain. They uh, um, um, you know, I think kind of like the IWW in the United States, my impression is I could be wrong, but they, you know, while they maintain like like an organization and a, and a history and, and some organizing, they're more kind of like they, they more preserve the legacy than are actually force in, 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 in Spanish society. But the legacy that they do preserve is the amazing, rich and important one. You go to their bookstore in Barcelona and um, I just went and wanted to buy all the posters. They have these like beautiful reproduction, um, very affordable posters of, you know, of, you know, the, uh, um, the Spanish uh, Civil War. Um, and um, uh, the um, and I'm sure it seemed like from from the staff there um, because my Spanish isn't the best. Dave's actually Spanish is great, uh, but it's, uh, it's Catalan um, probably uh, has something to to be desired. I think she, uh, the woman that was there had opened had just opened the store was a little busy and a little bit kind of like, yeah, okay, another bunch of tourists are uh, there coming in. Uh, but then when she through the course of things, she realized that we were. Um, I think it was when we wanted to buy the newspapers, you know, uh, and Dave said for, you know, uh, you know, for solidarity, you know, we just want to support you guys. Um, then, then her attitude 
changed immediately. And she recognized us as, as comrades and then started to treat and chat with us a lot more indulgently, which I thought was kind of an interesting kind of like, um, you know, maybe just the, the stream of history buffs that kind of go through there um, that, that she's kind of used to um, as opposed to uh, genuine sympathizers. So, but you know, that there was that, I don't, I don't know if there's a, was there another, there was the, the, the uh, list, list of places. Why don't you um, mention some of your favorite places? To... Well, I mean, I, I think that um, th there's this main shopping area that's pretty much always packed called the Romblas. And the way it operates is just like this massive promenade that goes on for, I think a, a little over a mile. Um, and it's got, you know, some tourist stuff around and some FC Barcelona shops and stuff like that. But the Romblas are also where you had some of the most fierce fighting in the Spanish mm -hmm. Civil War. And we had a guide who was telling us like, okay, this building is where this happened. Here's where Orwell did that. He was a guide who I, I found through a writer for the Washington Post who used him and he specifically does radical Spain, radical Barcelona tours. And he, he's just, it was just this, uh, like a, an, an, ex, uh, an appreciator and a collector to the extreme, I guess is how I would describe him. And he, he's an older chap, uh, British. And I think for me, walking on the Romblas and seeing um, all the people there in a state of kind of shopping euphoria uh, and knowing that, you know, this was contested space for the working class like that, that was pretty emotional for me, especially because some, so many of the buildings have, re have retained their integrity. They're just doing different things than maybe they would in a more equitable and sane society. Yeah. So if you've been to Barcelona, you, you have been to Las Ramblas. So this maybe is, is less about seeing it, but more about seeing it again and actually i'm doing it right now in my head because i'm imagining you know i've seen it deserted because i've been on it at like 5 a.m because of jet lag and uh i'm imagining it deserted and then i'm imagining barricades and gunfighting on it and i can i can see that in my head but i couldn't if i hadn't walked down las ramblas so i would recommend if you've been to spain close your eyes and visualize las ramblas and then photoshop out the tourists and and photoshop in um, whatever you have seen of World War One or World War Two, you know, street fighting, and then remember that that's what the 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 soul of Spain, and in some ways the soul of Western Europe, was fought over on that street. And there is no that that I have ever seen, no plaque, no remembrance. There's certainly no big monument, you know, on this day in 1930, whatever people died to keep Spain free. There's just Trotsky's. Yeah. To be and, clear, you said Trotsky, not Trotsky. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not, not, not Trotsky. Very different. Yeah, Trotsky. <laughs> I, I, I'll just say one thing Mike and I did, though, that, I, that I'll also recommend for people of our shared radical bent is we started by taking one of those cheesy, cheesy, cheesy bus tours of the city where you just sit on the bus and drive around. Cause it was kind of cool to like to try to see the city through the eyes of the 1930s. Like, okay, mm. here's where the Hills are. Here's where the beach is. And just thinking to yourself, this is all contested. was, was all contested terrain. 
and they had to strategize with the topography of this beautiful city. I mean, it's just, it's good to get that Eagle's eye view before you start getting in the weeds. Too. Yeah. So you're, you're placing mortars and sandbags. Is that what you're telling me, Dave, in your head? <laughs> I was doing a lot in my head, man. <laughs> when you're in that kind of sacred space after reading about it for over half my life, it was, it was pretty emotional. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, uh, looking at the river and you know thinking about the Battle of Erebo or um, mm -hmm. or going to uh, Montjuic, which is um, um, you know the big mountain in the center of the city, and seeing the citadel at the top of it. And and actually, that was another case where like you know um, the the citadel was was both a site of a Republican resistance, but also became a notorious um, prison camp, um, and where also max, mass torture and executions took place. For years and going taking the, the i guess the um the cable car up to the top of that which was actually its own kind of really fun kind of thing but getting up there and the, and it was also when we went there it was like pouring rain so we're the only idiots out there like you know whatever getting soaked as we're just wandering around um you know the citadel and looking at it but there's just this tiny little plaque that basically says you know at this location in these moats this is where the the president of of, of catalonia um um companies was 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 executed along with 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 comrades and just kind of look okay so this is where looking down on this this northern moat this is where they were executing republicans and just realizing just getting a sense of you know and maybe this is, this is you know i tend to be a little bit nostalgic this way but this sense of this is a sacred space right this is where um people's lives were lost you know in, in defense of 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 our our, our future a um, little bit like actually going to the site of of the commune in in paris at the mm -hmm. same time like Thing, which I've had the opportunity to do. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have a tradition, I think, Mike, if you're gonna have a radical tradition, an anarchist tradition, you need sites of remembrance and you need rituals. And I don't think the communards wall is all I can think of right, right now. Uh, we we don't have these spaces. Like I said, we're touring the same imperialist monuments that everyone else is is touring, and we need to we need to change that we need to remember one of the big narratives about anarchism is it can't ever work and the fact of the matter is it's worked a few times uh paris and barcelona being the biggest ones and then those guys were uh, i shouldn't say guys because women were involved like they weren't in any other revolutionary movement those people were murdered so when people say oh it can't work it's because it has been forgotten that it was working and they were murdered. And yeah, I think those are those can be sacred sites of remembrance. Absolutely. They should be. Mm. And um, back to what you were saying in terms of like uh, uh, the whole bigger concept of radical tours, it's um, the idea that like resistance has gone on. As long as you've had a working class, you've had resistance and, mm -hmm. and this hidden history is, is everywhere. And of course, you know, when you have these moments of like sort of like but our side won for a while, you know, it becomes especially memorable, um, these, you know, these pitch points, but like, you know, whether it's going to Ludlow, Colorado, or, or, you know, um, you know, um, any number like wounded knee or any number of, of sites in, in the, in the Americas of, 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 you know, of both resistance and, and tragic defeat. It's like, these are, these are sacred spaces. These are spaces where you know indigenous resistance where you know um, slave resistance where you know working class resistance did play go you know uh you know minneapolis you know or seattle you know um these you know um they're they're they're, they're everywhere 
Um, you were talking about the Frederick Douglass House in DC. That's a great spot. But if you go even to like the touristy DuPont area, you would know that the Black Panther Party head, you know, DC mm -hmm. headquarters was in DuPont Circle at that time, right? You know, until you, you know, unless somebody has actually done that research and taking you on the tour. Like um, you would, you know, you go down by by uh, Union Station, um, the, the train station, they actually the place where I, I guess they still have the big Columbus statue. But you also there are sites where that are where um, uh, there was armed self-defense of, of black workers during the 1919, you know, I guess, you know, white supremacist race riots. So those 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 sites of resistance are, are, are everywhere. Um, but um, recognizing them, paying, paying, uh, you know honor to them so yeah it's really important word up and <laughs> it would be great if there were easily accessible guides in every city because this is an every city issue i mean we've all got the cities that have shown out in history but we also know a lot of this history gets memory hold too and yeah it, it does why this is why this battle over the statues in the south are so important because it's not about the you know the right wing and the fascists they always say Oh, you're, you're erasing history by removing Robert E. Lee. And it's like, no, no, no. We, we want to know the history of Robert E. Lee so we can make sure a person like that never emerges with that much power again. It's not about erasing history. It's about what kind of history, what kind of South are we choosing to honor and remember? Yeah. And there's also, I mean, we're, so we're talking about these sacred spaces. And Mike, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I spoke uh, as eloquent as I could about the need for sacred spaces. I would love, however, to to move on from sacred spaces to move on from the idea that we can put up anything in marble and it lasts forever because it always is the thing that's going to determine the value of that spot but as long as we're fighting this war over history we need to have our own monuments there is a man his name is kirk savage he's a friend of mine he teaches at the university of pittsburgh and he's been working on the national mall first as a scholar and now also working with the national mall and he's gotten a lot of energy behind temporary monuments. So if the old narrative is like, here's, you know, a um, marble. Well, I mean, look, those shitty statues in the South, they're not, they're not marble. Here's a, <laughs> here's a limestone or even concrete statue of Robert E. Lee. And then we'll tear it down and we'll put what? We'll put Frederick Douglass up or we'll put Sojourner Truth up. Fuck that. Let's put Frederick Douglass up, but put it up in wood or paper mache or something and enjoy it for a year or six months. And then you put Sojourner Truth up later. And so you don't have this space that is forever beyond contention. Oh, you know, for, for a hundred years, uh, Robert E. Lee ruled here and we finally tore him down and put up a new ruler and it is Frederick Douglass. The community is always constantly engaged in what the next person or not even necessarily a person, symbol, anything is going to go in that space. And that puts the politics back into the politics of memory instead of just this like there's one thing and now it, it cannot be questioned. Because you know if we put Frederick Douglass up or whoever, they're gonna tear it down in a hundred years because history is this living, breathing process. So let's build that into it. But if we've got these sacred spaces where people gave their lives that are not being remembered at all, I'm, I'm ready to put the, uh, the marble there for now. And then we can tear that down in 200 years when, when the struggle is over, but not until then. At least that's, that's my vision. Right on. Yeah. Down with the vision. 
Yeah, I'll 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 send you guys uh, Kirk Savage's work because since you live in DC, um, I think you'll find it interesting. Mm. Um, okay, I before I let you go, I just want to check if there's one more thing that you think that we didn't talk about that people, if they go to Barcelona, they should see Las Ramblas, Montjuic, CNT. You mentioned the uh, telephone station. I think we hit the the big ones. I mean, I, you got to eat some Manchego cheese. Course <laughs> <laughs> of years, and just some advice: don't try to smuggle it out of the country because they <laughs> they will preserve their Manchego at all costs. But my advice also is go to some, there are tons of touristy restaurants, but the food in Barcelona is so amazing; it's all delicious. Go to some places that are off the beaten path. Uh, that just you know basically serve the seafood while it's practically flopping around. I'll just say I don't know if I want to do it again anytime soon, but it's a hell of an experience. Yeah, I'll I'll say that um, it was it, uh, it was interesting because um, you know we we kind of slapped together our, our trip very quick and 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 I'm almost embarrassed to say that we used an Airbnb um, <laughs> and then actually to see to actually see when we're there feeling weird about seeing actually a big anti Airbnb campaigns going on <laughs> in the neighborhoods and like, Oh geez, maybe I should give like a solidarity donation because I, you know, I took the shortcut on, on this thing. Um, but like, like the idea of, of uh, part of ra radical tourism um, and, and I wish I had done more of this is, is also part of like doing um, ethical tourism mm -hmm. and try to figure out what that looks like. I think, um, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't, you know, uh, we did find some local leftists. We did try to support local stores and, 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 um, and organizations. Um, um, and we did, you know, um, we did what we, we could, but like, but giving some mind to, to how to do that, how do not, um, and, you know, I mean, unfortunately, uh, sadly, the left's numbers really aren't really the pivot here, but still, I think it's important to, 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 you know, be, be mindful of that, that, that tourism can be done ethically. Um, and you know, and knowing, figuring out how to do that, leave light footprints as well yeah. in the art of cross-cultural communication. If you're following this at all, Barcelona has been, you know, the pandemic changed everything, but it's been in a crisis point. It has too many tourists, hence the anti-Airbnb stuff. But it's not true that Barcelona has too many tourists. The city depends on tourism. They have too many asshole tourists who do it the wrong way who only go to the Ramblas, who don't learn the culture of the city, and who don't, if, if you are in Barcelona, talking to people about this, learning a few phrases in Catalan, seeing the places that aren't on the list, you will be welcome, you will be beloved. I have experienced it. So they don't want no more tourists in Barcelona, but they want you there with a sense of appreciation and engagement. And man, if you're at the point of, listening to a podcast like this and, and reading George Orwell, you're, you're, you're doing what you need to do. And then all the, the environmental footprint stuff and everything, I'm afraid that is, uh, that is beyond the, the, the scope of this show, but boy, are we all, do we all need to work more on that? Agreed. Well, this has been such a great opportunity because I mean, especially like in this Omicron moment, like this idea now of travel seems so far-fetched to me. And the fact that we were able to get this in right before the break, I just feel very fortunate. I mean, because it, it, it enriched me, uh, as travel often does. Yeah, and I want us to push, you know, we pushed reset on society. 
when the pandemic happened and now the people are just rushing to put it right back exactly the way it was but it's time to do things differently and we can do travel differently i'm ready for this to be this pandemic to be an inflection point and also i'm ready to travel again although i mentioned dave earlier i have a three-year-old and a five-year-old so i'm not sure when i'm getting out to barcelona anytime soon right yeah i want to travel and do some state smashing yeah um, <laughs> you can do that at home dave you're you're in the perfect yeah, place to do some state, state smashing it's like smash your own damn state <laughs> all right it's only the united states though maybe i can try somewhere a little more user a little more brittle a little more user friendly yeah it's a big task try taking a sledgehammer to the washington monument and see how see how that goes yeah, that goes <laughs> allow me to even walk on the grass with with a sledgehammer <laughs> I wonder how close i'd get god oh well this has been great graham thank you so much well thank you this is this is awesome thank you so much this was a wonderful conversation thanks graham Be well well that was fantastic. That was as fun as a conversation about a failed revolution can be, as far as I'm concerned. I will have an episode for you about Orwell and the Spanish Civil War in not too long, sometime in 2022 anyway. Remember that this show depends on your support. You can go to everydayanarchism.com to make a financial contribution. You can also leave a review at Apple Podcasts and now on Spotify. That helps enormously. And I also love to hear from you at everydayanarchismpodcast at gmail.com. I do hope to have Dave and Mike back on the show after I have been back to Barcelona. So based on the age of my kids, you can expect Dave and Mike back on the pod in 2033, I would say. Okay, I'll see you next time. All that's left to say is that the music, which you're about to hear, is by David Hill.